And I remember we were going back and forth. We we're having a very, very, very ugly conversation. And we walked away and he came back two hours later and he left me with one of the most powerful things I have ever, like, it was like shaking to me. He said, Anwar, you're a very, very smart man. I'm embarrassed that you wouldn't even take the time to understand the other side of the story before formulating a final answer or a final decision. Welcome back everyone to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guest appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK. And it's your boy, Anwar Ahmed, aka A Squared. And we are grateful to have you, as always, in the space to have a conversation about masculinity. And today, specifically, we want to talk about conflict and conflict resolution and maybe having healthy debates or unhealthy debates and why conflict is so prevalent and how we go about handling it. Before we do that, though, you know what time it is always. Boo! Hey, yo, Coach Kyle, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Man, man, man. What's my mood? What's my mood? You know, I was just on the Tether app the other day and I was playing around with the app. Uh, For those that don't know, Tether is one of our sponsors, one of the, or or our only sponsor, sorry. And they have an incredible app called Tether and it's for men. And I was playing around with it and they have check-ins, they have weekly check-ins. And every time they do it, they have like one word answers and it's physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I answered it and I, it was so weird. I went to the physical one and I said the word open. That's just the word that I came to me was open. It's like physically open. What an interesting thing. But that's just what I wrote because that's what felt true to me. And as I analyzed it, I recognized that my body is feeling open. Like I don't feel reserved or I don't feel like I'm tight or resistant in my body. I feel like I'm very open to not only like movements, not only workouts, but to life. And I feel like I feel that in my body, which is such an interesting feeling. It just, I just feel like I've opened up some sort of gate that I didn't know I had. And I'm just allowing life to flow in. And it was just a fascinating experience for me to come to that term. So as far as my mood goes, I guess I feel open. I feel there's a million things we spoke about this earlier. There's a million things going on in both of our lives. And I just feel like it's constantly coming through the gates and it wouldn't be so, let's say, smooth or flowing if those gates weren't open. And I don't even know how I opened them. To be honest with you, I'm going to have to reflect and navigate what that looks like. But it just seems like a lot of life is just flowing into me. And then that in turn allows me obviously to allow life to flow out of me. So my, my mood is 
open. My mood is open. Mm. I like that. And I, and I can relate a lot to that in terms of, you know, sometimes in life you get to that point where you're trying to, you're trying to be the bouncer of the club. Like you're not letting things in. You're mm. just, you're, you're making a lineup outside and you're just trying to deal with things one at a time. You're like, let three people in and then you just manage them. And, you know, it's, I think what, what open feels like to you is you're just like, let everyone in. We'll just deal with the party inside. Like let everybody in. Let's stop playing gatekeeper to the life. Let everybody in and let's see what happens, you know? And I think that when things start happening too fast and maybe you'll find this in your reflection is that, you know, you were forced to have to let everybody in. Like you didn't get to choose Let's mm. set up guards and let's like one at a time. Life was like, no, everyone's got to come in. And so you naturally, because you've been dealing with so much for a while now, you've, I think you've probably gotten more accustomed to being like, let everybody in. Like mm. everyone's been coming in. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like I was, I was resistant. I was trying to manage the amount of I was putting in and stuff. And then everyone was in and I was like, okay, cool. I've done this for a while now. Um, I'm more open now because I've just like, I've almost over, I've, I've, I've overwhelmed myself and gotten used to being overwhelmed that it's like, now I'm not overwhelmed. It's just, okay, this is just a process now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it actually reminds me just before uh, we get to your mood check is one of our future guests who is going to come on. He shared this analogy that I really like, and it speaks exactly to what you were saying a bit is it was imagine that you were having a, a guest party, a house party, let's say, or a, a gathering and you were the host. And everyone was coming to your house to have the, the party, to share the time. And then he said to imagine that all of your guests are your emotions. So your anger and your sadness and all of your, all of the emotions are invited. And your job as the host is to make sure everybody is comfortable in the, in the house and, to, and are enjoying their time. And when you host a party, if someone is not enjoying your time, what do you do? Right. You usually go out of your way to make sure that that is reversed and they, they are still happy that they came and that they're still enjoying other people's time and making friends. And if they don't like the food, then you accommodate by trying to make other food. And you do all of these things to make sure that every guest is accommodated. And the analogy was, who are you neglecting in your house party? Like, who are you ignoring? Who are you deflecting and who are you not paying attention to? And maybe who are you not allowing in the front door that's just standing outside waiting to be let in? Kind of like your balancer analogy, right? So it just works really well, I think, in just the context of life is you are the you, you are the host of your own life. And the life surrounding you is coming to your party. And how are you accommodating in that sense? And I think that might sound a little bit like, you have to accommodate everybody else's experience. No, it's about your inner experience. You're, you're the host of your inner experience. Maybe that's it. You're the host of your inner experience and what you let in is what you'll have to accommodate. Um, and I think what we're doing together separately is we are allowing a lot more in and learning how to manage the room, learning how to understand what the room looks like. And maybe some people aren't necessarily always 100% happy, but they're paid attention to and are cared for. And yeah, it just reminded me of the analogy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you would naturally have a more of a controlling tendency, right? Like you like to control things a little bit more typically. We've had, yeah, we've had that conversation. Yeah, typically that's my, um, my conditioned response is to control the situation. So like that feeling of being open also could be like the, the, un, the unraveling of that control, the un, like giving out, giving, giving up the control, you know, cause right. you've been really controlled. Then your environment forced you to be like, dude, the control thing that you got going on, that whole narrative, like it's out, it's not going to work right now. You gotta, you gotta let it go. And because you've let go of that, 
you might be now like, I've never felt this open before because I'm usually trying to control the situation. And I'm just like, I'm not trying to anymore. So mm-hmm. like a word like open would like come to the front. Like, you know, you'd be like, oh, I'm not usually open because I'm usually trying to control everything. Um, right. So now that I'm relinquishing control, open is what I feel. And like, that's, that's, you know, what resonates right now is that I'm just like, I don't, I don't really care about the, the, the event or the experience as much as I do about, you know, what I'm going to get out of it, or, you know, I'm not trying to control it or control the people that come into my house, um, things like that. So cool. Yeah. Word. I like open open is a cool word. And it's, it's one of those words that when you feel open, cause I'm feeling open, I'm actually feeling open physically, like mm-hmm. not, not, not mentally, not, but physically in my body. I feel like when I'm in the gym and I'm training right now, I'm less trying to find those, like, I'm trying to find where it's rigid and be like, let's hold it there for a little bit longer. You know, like whether it's mobility work, whether it's, I'm not, I don't care much about trying to find like the power to, you know, feel the, the strength that I, I want to feel like I have. I'm more so like, why does this shoulder sit a little bit lower? Why are you, what, what, like, what's holding you back? Like what's, you know, and I'm trying to like really open the chest and open the hips and really focus on every movement and then opening it that extra inch, giving it its, because all that rigidness is, is to me in your body, especially when you're working out is it's the feeling that you've had pain there before. So your body's trying to protect it from not going there. And again, so it's like, no, this is where we're good. Like anything past that, we're, we're going to hold it here. And it's allowing that, you know, allowing your brain to be like, Hey body, trust me. It's okay. We're going to open this up a little bit and we'll do it slowly. Mm-hmm. And we'll, and you know, and yoga does this a lot where they try to open you up. They try to be like, Hey, if you're stiff, you can only go this far. That's fine. But now breathe into that like tension, breathe into that spot that's like feeling really tight and like your body's holding on for dear life because it's just scared if it lets go. You got to tell your body, Mm -hmm. trust me, I got this, like, let us open up here, you know, and so I'm feeling like every workout that I have right now, I'm really trying to find openness. I'm really trying to find like, not trying to get strong in a short distance. Same when you do like, no, if you're not probably not going to see this clip, you can't see my hands. But if you do a bench press, and you don't extend your elbow all the way, you just like, kind of get it up and then you go back down you're doing these really short reps you're not really extending the full length of the muscle you're not really like getting the full workout you're just short changing it you're just doing it really fast in a very short distance and everything about what i'm trying to do now is just like how can i get the maximum amount of openness the maximum mm-hmm. amount of benefits um you know don't short change anything do everything if it takes a little bit longer that's fine you know it's it's about getting the full experience you know and so uh, i'm definitely channeling openness in my workouts for sure. I actually have a question on that because I think that that's such a, this, this the correlation between our body and life is so fascinating for me. You are now investing your time into making sure that your body feels like it's fully ex- extended in that sense. And it's open and it is fluid and it can move. And I've seen your videos on social media and you're doing a lot of like movement. That is a lot more, I would say beneficial for the body in my, in my opinion, in my truth. How have you noticed or have you noticed an impact with the loosening or like the, the opening of your body um, and then into your life in general and the way that you think and the way that you feel? Has it, have you felt like there's been a correlation between the two? Like your body feels less resistant. So then maybe your life feels a little less resistant. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, not necessarily that my life feels less resistant, but I'm a lot more optimistic about what's possible every time I change something about my physique that is like in my mind wasn't possible before. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, holy, like, I can't believe 
my leg can get to that spot now. Like, mm. wow, that inspiration from my physical uh, vessel inspires me to like unlock some of the mental blocks that I have, you know, because physically I'm, I'm overcoming barriers. So mentally I can overcome barriers too. And I like that to me, that correlation is always rung true to me is if I dunk a basketball in the next year or so, because of the training and the, 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 the intent that I'm putting the work in right now, then what else is possible? I never thought I could dunk a basketball. So if I dunk a basketball, then what right now, right. mentally, my brain goes, Oh, well, maybe then you can, maybe you can make a million dollars. Like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, absolutely. I, I see them both as, you know, hard to attain, but possible. So if I accomplish one, why wouldn't it bleed into another? And that's why I think it's always, it's always cool to expand yourself sometimes outside of different areas so that you can see what's possible in one area. And then that can hopefully bleed into another, you know, and I think the body is just living proof of, um, you're, you're able to always overcome something about your body that you're like, wow, like I grew up with uh, an intern hip, essentially, like one of my, when my, my right leg was like interned. So opening up my hip, all that kind of movement was very, very difficult for me. So to sit in like a deep squat, like sometimes people, will, I'll be at the gym and I'll just have just the bar and I'm just squatting to the bottom and the intrinsic, like what I know about how much work it took me to get into that position for an average person coming to the gym, they're just like, that's an empty bar. And he's at the right squat. That's nothing. Of course. But the challenge I had to get over to get to that position is only I know, you know, and that to me was, I never thought I could get to that position. So getting in that position and now actually being able to benefit from what a squat can do for me, because before a squat was just putting me more in the negative than it was the positive. But now that things are open, now that they move in the right process, now I can load the bar. Now I can actually start reaping the benefits of actual squat. It's like, people don't know that journey only you do, but that journey has inspired me to do so many other things. You know, it's like, I've completely changed the makeup of me physically, um, which is, you know, opens up the door for me. What else is possible? You know, what else mm -hmm. can I do? What else can I change? Um, and what I like about the gym is that nothing in the gym happens fast. So you're naturally like tuned into, well, it took me a long time to do that. Right. So this other thing that I'm going to do that's impossible right now, it might take me a long time to do that too, but it's possible. And right. sometimes that's all that, all that matters is the possibility. Love that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's such a great, uh, correlation between the, the way that the body feels and the way that we, uh, operate in life. And I, I just, I, I appreciate that you spoke on that experience because I've noticed that myself too, is once I got out of the rat race of thinking that I need to build all these muscles and look a specific way. And I was like, well, my body's actually pretty broken right now. And the longevity of my body is not feeling like it true to me. It doesn't feel like it's going to last long in this position. It, I started to recognize that the, the better my body felt in that capacity, not again, not muscles, not necessarily always the physical look, the way that it actually felt, I felt better during my day. And I felt like it's almost as if the tightness had always blocked the energy between my body and, and how I felt. And now that I've opened it up and I'm sure you can attest this too, it just feels like your body has more flow and that there's that energy is, is flowing through all of the facets of your, of yourself. I think it's just a fascinating space. We could talk about this forever, but I want to know, because I, I think the people want to know, bro, what is your mood? What is, what, what is your mood today, my man? Because uh, it seems- I shared that? I know. I don't know how it's possible. Wow. You need to get your mood check in. Tell me. Uh, mood is, I'm trying to describe my mood in a, in, a, in a more articulate, more sophisticated way. What's a good word to describe how I'm feeling? 
I'm going to say discombobulated because that, that, that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling right. a bit discombobulated. Um, it's one of my favorite words. I don't know what it is. It just sounds fun. It's like, I feel, I don't feel good. Discombobulated isn't good, but the word kind of sounds fun, you know? Yeah, 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 I know, exactly. It, it sounds fun, but it doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation directly. It's just, I'm just all over the place. Like, I just feel mm-hmm. all over the place. Like, um, I think I have a lot, a lot going on in a good way. Um, but like I was saying to you earlier, I feel like the to-do list isn't getting any shorter. And that, like, that, that too much, too much of a to-do list that just keeps rolling over and getting longer and getting longer and getting longer. I can see the pattern of that leading to burnout. So I'm really trying to get in control of this, you know, this list that I have going, my responsibilities, the mandates. Um, I'm really, I, I was explaining to you earlier, like, I'm really trying to focus on not looking at time, um, that so directly, you know? being more conscious of my effort because the life that I live now, I get paid for being efficient. You know, everything that I do in life is more about efficiency, less about being in a physical building for a long period of time. You know, I don't get paid for, you know, how much work I clock in. It's what did I do in four hours? You know, what did I do in that? I I went to the gym for an hour and a half, but what did I get accomplished? Um, I'm on this podcast for this long, but what did I get accomplished? Was I here or was my brain somewhere else? You know, so I'm really trying to focus on just showing up and being 100% present in the spaces that I'm in and maximizing my efforts. And then being real at the end of the week, like, let's write down, let's reflect. How good were you at work? You know, in those four hours, how much of it was spent on social media or distracted or, you know, disengaged from the work you were trying to get done. So um, I feel discombobulated because I'm just trying to navigate all those spaces. Like I'm like, okay, I need to be more efficient. I feel distracted. It's summer. There's a lot going on personally. There's a lot going on uh, professionally. Um, What new measuring? I'm always trying to challenge myself with like new measuring sticks, you know, the Pomodoro technique. You try that. It doesn't work. You go to the next thing. Like I'm always really trying to find different ways. And this is new. I'm going to try this whole, not looking at the clock, not being like, I need seven hours of sleep. Do I, or do I need to just like wake up and go, you know, is, is it more of a mental game that you're saying to yourself? And then you wake up and you're like only six. Oh, mm-hmm. I must not perform well. Or like, or can I actually reflect on my body and be like, okay, I woke, I went, I woke up at 6am. I feel good. Like I feel ready to go you know, and just really just like being in tune with the body and my work and just letting that speak for itself. Less about the clock, less about what I think about the time. People are like, don't eat food at this time. Don't eat food at this time. I'm like, based on who? Is that everybody's body? Is that my body? Is that like, is it better that I don't eat at 10 or is it better to skip that meal and go to bed hungry? Now, how does that reflect my sleep? Like, so I'm, I'm so, I'm just trying to get any, get rid of any constraint that involves time and just be like, how do you feel? And then I can hopefully come up with some data for me and be like, I know I feel better. I feel like I have a more powerful morning when I go to bed at 11, you know, and then now I have information that's not contingent on time. It's contingent on how I know I feel, you know? And so that's what I'm, I'm trying to use this very, I guess, not stressful time, this very all over the place time to learn more about myself. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of just, I'm trying to leverage, you know, using the, the pressure that I'm feeling right now to be like, what am I learning right now? You know, how can I better myself within this, this storm that I'm in? Um, and how can I next time be better next time I feel this storm? I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in a chaotic time in my life again. Do those things that you knew you were doing, you know, instead of seeing it as an experience that I'm trying to run out of or trying to get away from, you know, I'm trying to lean into it being like, all right, you're busy. You're busy right now. What are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. How are we going to show up? 
I love that. And what I want to pull out of that for everyone is that although you're feeling discombobulated, you're still investing in yourself and self-understanding and self-processes and self-routines and uh, self-care. You're still invested in those spaces just because there's a lot happening and you have you know 17 million things it feels like to take care of. And the to-do list just seems to be growing every time you, you knock down two, four show up. The time spent on self should never be sacrificed. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that you're doing. And I love that. And I think that that's what I just want to make sure people are pulling out of that story uh, is the, uh, that concept, because I think we usually neglect it when we feel discombobulated, when we mm -hmm. feel like there's chaotic times, that's the first thing to go is self because everything outside of self seems more important. And you're like, no, those are important, but what I, I need to be here. Like I, what about myself? And uh, I just really appreciate that willingness to do that. Cause that's, that's, Sometimes it's tough work. It is. It is. And to, to not see things as like, like to me, working out is non-negotiable. We're not mm. negotiating. Are we working out today or are we not? It's, it's like boohoo, sad story. You didn't get your work done. You have to go work out too. That's just, that's just how it goes. Cause then mm. you don't, you don't leave a part of you behind at the expense of what you're trying to get. You know, I know I'll be mad at myself in a couple of months if I haven't worked out for three weeks. So right. let's prevent that anger by just committing the one hour a day. You know, and, and, and being like, it's a rest day. Like today's a rest day for me. Great. More time to put into the work, you know, and just being honest with the routine um, because not one thing defines you at the end of the day. Not one thing defines you, but how you feel about yourself, you know, is more important than what you've accomplished. And mm -hmm. feel, to feel good about yourself is important. So to dive into the conversation today, the very powerful conversation we want to have, this came up. Uh, honestly, I think just out of personal experience, the idea of conflict. And when we started speaking about conflict, what I recognize is that it feels as if conflict and conflict resolution is everywhere. It, it doesn't seem like it's not in a space. Whether, And I think that's because there's the idea or the concept of inner conflict. Inner conflict exists. And the do I go left or right? And um, do I buy this burrito or that burrito? Or do I get coffee or not get coffee? There's, there's conflict there. And then you separate that into other people. And that conflict seems harder to handle sometimes because now you're dealing with the whole other person. And the way that I want to start this conversation is sending it over to you and asking the question, when you get into a space of conflict and you find yourself, let's say at a bit of a deeper crossroad and it's with someone, it's usually with somebody else. Do you focus more on winning the argument or solving the problem? Hmm. I think, I think, I think you're talking, you're speaking here to, you know, who I've been and where I want to be. Definitely. Ooh, I mean, okay. I think I definitely for a long time cared about winning the argument. Mm. Um, for a long time, I thought it was, um, and I, I can't even pinpoint why I thought it was so important to win the argument. Um, sometimes it might've been just the fact that I just thought the opinion that you had, I could convert you. And like, you know, it was trying to convert the, the, the opinion that you had. Sometimes it would, it would, it would be, um, you know, the idea that I didn't, I just strongly disagreed with what you had to say. And I thought, you know, by being able to argue and like prove my point, I could ultimately like get you to say you're wrong. I'm right. Um, and it's, it's, it's in that, it's in that, yeah, I guess, argument style that, you know, you realize that, um, your ego is really showing up, you know, um, that you're really, you're really arguing from a place of ego and you lose, you lose the humanity in the argument. 
um, mm. lose the humanity or you're not really thinking about the human anymore. You've gotten rid of the human experience. You've gotten rid of understanding. You've gotten rid of listening. And it's now a chess match, you know? And that's when, you know, you're, you, and I know my ego is involved because it's competition at that point, right? It's, it's competition. Now it's like, you're, you're channeling a different version of me, which is like, not even the one that cares about this argument. It's like, now I'm a competitor. Like I'm just trying to win, you know? So uh, really, really being, you know, and, and that question just kind of like shines a light on me and splits me in half because I just know that that's where I came from. That's how, that's the argument style that I came from. That's the one that I was raised in. Now, you'll often talk about, you know, life is this process of, you know, we've learned a bunch of things and then you're going through a bunch of unlearnings. I think that unlearning, you know, that being right's important and that, you know, actually, actually attacking the problem is more important here or, or, or finding a, you know, a favorable outcome for both people. Um, that's more now, you know, what I'm trying to learn and get into. And, um, so that's, that's definitely where I started. I definitely am guilty as charged. There's no one who knows me. That's going to say, if I came on here and went, Oh, I always focus on the problem. I, the, the DMS <laughs> would be flooded. They, there's, there's enough of a, a laundry list of people that have been, have been on the back end of a, an unhealthy argument for me. That's for sure. Um, mm. so I'm definitely guilty, uh, of trying to, trying to win the argument for, self-validation i guess is the best way to say it mm, powerful powerful i appreciate you sharing that and you know what i was thinking about this whole time is just how relatable everything you just said is you know i think that there's so many people listening right now they're going to be like you know what absolutely that's been me or that is me you know i think that winning the argument is like a, a part of what a, what we're facing in this world like in such a huge way you know, you can look online and you can look at work and you can look at home and you, you can look everywhere, even just among people who've never met before. And everyone is just trying to win an argument. They're trying to prove that their point is the absolute truth. And that is just, I think it's causing so many more problems. I think that's, and I don't know how you've always felt about this when you're handling conflict and you focus on winning the argument does it feel when you have won the argument that you have like succeeded and you've won or does it still feel like there's something like missing or that it is not really fulfilled in a sense like you may have like made the other person like feel worse and i'm not speaking in the sense of i think that's the case i'm actually just honestly curious because um, i'm trying to reflect now on experience i've had where i've forcefully tried to win the argument and how i have felt after if it's felt aligned mm -hmm. no i think for me, definitely when I was younger, it was like a, a euphoric feeling. Like I actually mm -hmm. liked winning the argument. Like I, 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 ne I almost needed to win the argument. I would boil over and I would be miserable later on, you know. Um, I'd be very upset about like, you know, if someone uh, or I would shut down or I would avoid, you know, it put me into it would put me into like my avoidance state, you know, where I would just avoid the conflict completely if I thought that I lost it or things like that. Like It was a very, very competitive, unhealthy style of communicating, to be honest, um, if I'm being really real with myself. Um, but now because you can't just erase those parts of yourself, right? Like that's the, the one part that I think that, you know, that's why we always talk about honoring the journey. Like I am on a journey of becoming a better communicator, a healthier communicator, and I am way far beyond where I was before. And I know that for sure, but there's still days where my ego gets in the way. There's still days where uh, unhealthy, you know, argument like styles come out. And but the difference is now that like I can feel it. 
like if I won the argument and I walk, if I feel like like the other person kind of just went like, okay, whatever. And, and they just like, they, they did whatever they did. And it looked like I won the argument. When I walk away, I have a really strong distaste in my mouth. Like, I'm like, that mm. was gross. Anwar. like, why did you, what were you doing? Like, like, you, like you, I could feel my ego was in the way. Like I could hear myself, but you're just in that, you're just in competition mode. Like, you're just talking at that point. You're just trying to prove your point. You're, you're, emo- you're not, you don't know how to manage or compartmentalize your emotions. And so you're just like speaking from a place of like, and for me, it's defensiveness, right? Sometimes like if, if you, if you challenge me personally too much, I get defensive and I can tell I'm really arguing from a defensive place. And that just is shining a mirror on me of like, what do you got to work on? Why are you so, de- why are you so defensive right now? Like what's going on? Um, so now win, lose, or draw, there's an actual feeling like not every win feels the same anymore. Like I know I'm like, nah, that, that didn't, that didn't, I just not how I wanted to communicate. You know, I, I, I should have done a better job of this. There's a lot bigger of a reflection period with my arguments now, whether they went the way I thought that they would or they not. Um, and almost sometimes over too much, you know, I know that communication is something that I value a lot. So if a conversation doesn't go well, I I really replay the conversation in my head for a long period of time and like try to find my gaps, try to find the holes. Like, what did I commute? What did I say? Why did I say that? What was, what was I triggered by this? And like, I really do some self-reflection where before I did not care if I won, I was like, woo. And out, like there was no reflection. (laughs) There was no nothing. It was like another one for the books, like check mark. Now it's not like that. When does it, when at what expense? You know what I mean? I saw this, I saw this uh, Instagram post and, you know, he basically was saying just because you win the argument doesn't doesn't mean you're right. It just means that you know how to argue and prove your point. I'd rather spend time with people that want to understand people who want to seek to be understood, understand and care about the greater good. And like that is a great example to me of like what I thought arguing was before and what I think it is now. Right. Before I was trying to prove that I was good at making points, like I was trying to prove I was a, I could be a great lawyer almost, you know, like I could, I could find the holes in your argument. I could prove my point and I could mm. win this conversation. Like, and it was like, boom, once the, the judge hits the mantle, I'm like, was I the victor? Awesome. Next court case, you know, mm. where now if the person didn't understand me or I didn't understand them and I leave win, lose or draw, I feel empty. I'm like, I didn't, we didn't get a greater good here. We didn't get a greater outcome. You know, we didn't. I didn't see their side. They didn't see my side. We both lost, you know what mm. I mean? Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't resonate as well. So definitely mm. it's changed. It's definitely changed. What about for you? Are well, you- that's, hu- that's huge. Um, I think what I, I'm going to ex- definitely talk about mine. Cause I think there's, uh, I also think for everyone listening, just so everyone knows like Anwar and I have had like decent amounts of conflict in this uh, podcasting space. And I think I want to touch on that a bit in this conversation. Cause you know, we do have different conflict styles. I also think too, what I've recognized about myself is that my conflict style changes with the person. Like I noticed that if it's somebody who I really care about, my conflict um, resolution strategy changes. Mm-hmm. If it's someone that I don't really know that well, it's different. It's mm-hmm. not the same, uh, which I think is super interesting. And uh, a component of life that I uh, appreciate sometimes is just that the, there isn't necessarily a one size fits all. And I think a lot of times we're just mm-hmm. looking for the one answer to everything to give us the perfect result. And 
that conflict is a perfect example of how that's just not the case. You know, there's there's not necessarily a black and white to everything. There's just so much beautiful gray in the middle, which I, I've referred to previously is where all the color is. There's so much more there. But I want to ask a question just on your experience. You talk about the progression and how you were seeking to always win the argument. Do you feel like that was something that you felt was you had to do or was necessary when you were growing up? Like, was there some aspect of like when you were a, a little boy that you felt you had to like fight to win arguments or a fight to be right a little bit? Was that a space? Um, and the only reason that I ask is to uh, for the listeners to maybe understand where that came from so that they can dive deeper into where that may be for them. Uh, my actual my my journey to my voice was actually from a shy standpoint I was very shy as a kid so right I didn't really talk I didn't really talk as much as I was like watching I was very observant you know and I still carry a very observant mindset and my my journey has been kind of like telling even when I think back to like being a kid and stuff and I, I try to think about you know how I've come to be the person that I am at first I was very very shy observant and when I did speak it was very intentional and it was very calculated um and oftentimes it was, it was very, you know, on point. It was like, oh, well, good job. You are paying attention. It was like, it was very well received because I had spent so much time watching and then I would speak, which would be the equivalent of listening and then having a response, right? In that process, you know, I found my voice, you know, I got confident. I found my voice. And once I found my voice, I kind of just ran with it a little bit, you know, and I got too into the idea of speaking and forgot you know, all about the listening side of things, all about mm. the, the being observant and, you know, um, focusing on, you know, the point instead of the totality of something, you know, being so drilled on one concept versus like, you know, how did, how is this holistically, how is this conversation going holistically, get off this one bullet point, holistically, what is this conversation about? Um, and so I think it was like, I had two extremes. I was really quiet and observant. And then I became too much of a talker and I had to kind of like swing that pendulum, find the middle ground where it was like, okay, where was the old version of myself successful? It was being observant, being understanding what's going on here, understanding the conversation and then using your voice for good, not for harm, you know, not using your voice to defend, not using your voice to attack, to blame, using your voice to be positive and move this conversation forward, you know, and that's where, you know, leadership styles come into play and stuff like that. I think I first decided I wanted to be a better communicator when I joined sports and noticed that yelling at your teammates isn't going to fly. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that gets it done to a certain degree, but then they lose trust in you. Now they understand your words, but they don't, they don't, they don't want to now, you know, you're not building a brotherhood on that. You know what I mean? Like it only, it's only successful to a certain degree, um, yelling and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, I think that's kind of, you know, for, for me, where it originally my childhood was a lot more quiet, listening, paying attention. And then throughout that journey, being called on and having really good answers and articulating myself very well, that allowed me the empowered me to have a voice. And once I found my voice, I got a little bit too comfortable with it. I got, mm. I, got started, I started talking a little bit too much and not listening enough. Um, and then now I'm at the point where it's like, I know the power of my voice. And I know mm. what I want to do with it and I know what I want to use, how I want to use it. Um, and so I'm way more judgmental when I use it in an incorrect way. Uh, mm. if, I, if I use it in an incorrect way, I'm way more conscious of like, you're better than that. You're capable of more. You're, you're, mm. you, you could be way more intentional with this voice that you have. So, um, you know, 
find a way to be better, communicate that in a better way. Um, Love that. And what I, what I hear in that space, I appreciate you sharing because what I, what I recognize is that anytime we try to reflect on what happened during our childhood, it's a hard journey. It is, it's a reflection of, you know, a space that we were powerless in what happened and how we were and what we were around and surrounding with. And it's different for everyone. And I know for me, so for so long, and this is not in correlation with your story. This is my experience for so long. I looked at my childhood and specifically my mother, and I saw her as this God, this like could never be wrong, never did anything wrong. Oh, did the, uh, such an incredible job of raising me. And I think so many people that I've spoken to have said my parents were perfect and everything was perfect. And then over the course of my own personal, like inner child journey, I've recognized that my mother is incredible. However, she made mistakes and she didn't do everything perfectly when I was younger. And there's things that I'm uncovering that are really speaking to why I am the way I am today, things that I never knew before. And it's so wild to me. So that's why I ask. And um, I think the only curiosity I have left uh, from your story is do you, was there ever a space where you felt like your voice was silent? silenced that created that idea of like, maybe I can't share my voice or I can't speak up. So I should I'd be shy instead. No, not, not necessarily. I always felt okay. like there was room to talk. Mm. It wasn't like I had a, a, a muzzle on or anything like that. I felt like there's maybe, you know, a little bit of room to talk. I mean, if mm. there's one area that I can kind of point and say, maybe in this area of my life, I didn't have very much space to talk is in the household. My parents were very, it's a, it was a one-way dialogue for a long time. Like we didn't really have an opinion. It was like, mm. your parents said, jump. We said, how high? Like there was no combating. There was no back and forth. There wasn't much of a conversation. You know, it was very one way. You're the kid. I'm the adult. This mm. is how things are going to go. Um, but in terms of like other spaces in my life, like I've always felt like you had the choice to, you know, when the, the teacher says, who wants to say this? Like, I always felt like there was the opportunity to put my hand up. Like, I felt like it was more so, do I want to put my hand up or no? Like, mm. do I have something good to say here or no? You know, um, but I always thought that there was the opportunity to step in and say what you wanted to say, especially outside of the home. Uh, maybe in my house, there wasn't, there was a little bit less of that, but um, mm. it was, the silence was a choice for me. Like, I knew I could speak, but I, I was just wanted to be silent and watch because I didn't think what I had to say was important. Uh, hmm. until it all of a sudden became important or someone said you did a good job. And I was like, oh, great. People care about what I have to say. Now nah, I'm not going to stop talking. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got to kind of know yourself. Like for me, I know I'm a talker. And if you, if you open the door, if you even open the door slightly for a debate, I'm kicking it the rest down. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I'm, I already knew that trait about myself. So it was about how do you rein that in? Like, how do you rein it in that, you know, you're, you, you're, you're here for a debate. You're here for a little bit of confrontation, a bit of a back and forth. Cause you think it's like dynamic and you can learn a lot from it and you love to talk. So how do you manage that? You know, how do you contain that energy and like use it for good instead of like, you know, um, just being a wrecking ball, uh, with everyone you encounter. So, mm. and that speaks to the pendulum pendulum swing that you were speaking about. And I think from my own experience, I know to be true for me that anytime that I felt like there was a space that I was doing because it was my conditioning or cause I was always told to, I would find information about the opposite and absolutely swing it like full on like Miley Cyrus cannonball, like just get it swinging. And it's so interesting how like life seems to work that way in the sense of 
I think we're all just trying to find the middle, but we can only find the middle until we've realized we've swung the pendulum so far. And my, my conflict resolution to come back to the conversation worked in the exact same way um, that you did, but just in the opposite way. For me, I, I always felt like I was a burden to the people around me because my mother had me when she, she was 15. I've shared this before. And part of me, I think always knew that I needed to make sure everybody was good and everybody was happy. So I played really deeply into the nice guy complex. I was really like compromising. I was really accommodating. I was always making sure that there wasn't conflict so that it didn't seem like I was a bigger burden in people's lives. And what that obviously did for me was it made me very subservient and very self-sacrificing to my own needs and my own wants. And what ended up happening was I really, truly, I think, recognized this with you. And I say that because we've had, uh, we had an argument one time or conflict one time where you brought up this to me and you said, I feel like you are just going along with what I was saying. You know, you probably remember that conversation. It was the first time we've had like that, that really open dialogue between the two of us of like, this is what I'm feeling. And I remember hearing that. And I remember realizing that, uh, the reason for that was because the majority of the people in my life were the same as me. They were very subservient in that sense. They were very accommodating and compromising and avoiding and stuff like that, including all the people that I grew up with. Not a lot of people in my life were assertive or like, let's just say swing it, maybe overly dominant or um, a little bit more aggressive in their, like their, their conflict style. No one was really like that. And if they were, this is a great component of the conversation. If they were, it was overly dominant in the sense of anger and rage that was used to win conversation. So I went the other way my whole life. I said, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to be like the men in my saw in my life that were rageful to win arguments and angry and abusive. I was going to swing it and say, well, there's got to be a better way. So I'm just never going to be that way. And in turn, what that did was it made me incredibly unassertive. I was no longer assertive in conversation. So when you and I would have a conversation that one time, I would not know what to do with myself because I wanted, I guess, to have the conversation. And yet I felt like, I was falling into my own trap of full-on compromise in the sense of like compromising myself in order to appease you. Because what I feared was that you wouldn't like me or wouldn't appreciate me or wouldn't value my opinion. And that is why for my whole life, I just kind of, I never really came across someone who was like very convicted in their words. And I share this on the podcast because, again, I mentioned, I think it's easy to think that you and I don't have conflict. We have such great conversation and we enjoy each other's presence and we have, you know, these great back and forths. And yet at the same time, we're running a business. At the same time, we're, we're seeing this through for the long future, which is going to be incredible for us. And to think that it's going to be all rainbows and butterflies with two, com- two people that are completely different in their own truths and validations and life experiences is is naive but i know i walked in that way i don't know about you but i walked in and i'm like this is gonna be beautiful we're never gonna we we align so well and then that conflict hit and i'm like oh maybe we shouldn't do this that fucking oh damn maybe we shouldn't do this maybe we aren't as good as we thought it was so that's a bit of uh, i guess of my experience in regards to my conflict style and um you know i'm sure you remember that argument a bit 
No, I definitely, yeah, I definitely, and we've had our fair share. That's that's one argument. There's 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 others too, right? And um, there's there's other conflicts. And um, one thing that I would, you know, I would I would kind of I would kind of throw back as well in that in that time. It, it felt like you know because you were someone who had a strong opinion, right? Um, or who had a you were convicted in kind of what you wanted to say until you got met with someone that was like willing to like, Hey, let's take this conversation one step deeper than, than where we're at. Not your opinion versus my opinion, trying to win the one-on-one battle, but like, what does overtime look like in mm-hmm. this game? You know, you're trying to win the game in regulation, but there's an overtime, you know? And it was like, for me, I always felt like you were either going to go for the win or you weren't going to shoot the ball at all. You mm-hmm. know, you're da- you're down by two, you're going for a three or you're not shooting, you know? It's either I win or I'm not, I'd rather live with the idea of not trying, you know, this, let's just go with yours versus why don't you just score the two and let's go to overtime, you know, which is where the meat and potatoes is, you know, mm-hmm. here's your opinion. Here's my opinion. What's the deeper context? Like, how can we then now come to a conclusion that is deeper, more rich, more flavorful, you know, um, and has both people's ingredients in it? Like, mm-hmm. So then when we have a dish that's at the end of it, it's like, there's a little bit of my spice, there's a little bit of your spice. But when you meet at that first initial opinion, it's like that person feels like if I choose yours, this is your dish now. And if I choose mine, this is my dish. When you're collaborating, it's about understanding what, are you, what ingredients do you have, what ingredients do I have, and where can we put them together? And how can we get the dish that like both reflects both of us? Um, and so if your, your conflict resolution style goes into that, you know, and I'm speaking to the audience now, if you feel like you're one of those people who like, you're either going for the win or you don't try at all, you're, you're ultimately not dealing with the conflict. You know, you're not embracing the idea of us versus the problem. You know, you're still in the mindset of it's gotta be you and it's gotta be me. And I can live with it being you, right? Like, and then to speak more about the men's space, like we love conclusions and fixing things, right? And mm-hmm. I knew I loved a conclusion, right? And unfortunately, agree to disagree is another conclusion. That doesn't, mm-hmm. that's not actually, people think that agree to disagree is some sort of like, we understand each other and it's some sort of noble thing that you can like walk away from. No, that's just two people who are still like hard-headed, not willing to get deeper, not willing to understand. That's just another conclusion to this, this conversation, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that I was often a conclusion seeker, right? So I needed an end to the problem. There needed mm-hmm. to be a decider in this game. Like we couldn't walk away with just, I have a new perspective. You have a new perspective. You know me a little bit more. I know you a little bit more. And next time we come to the table, maybe we'll, you know, be able to bring that empathy and that compassion, that respect for each other to the next decision that we're going to go after or the next problem we're going to try to attack. It was like, you needed to have an outcome, you know, and having needing to have an outcome sometimes makes you show up ugly in conversations because you're like, I need to have an outcome. Something Mm -hmm. has to happen here, you know? Um, And I I remember too, the, I like the analogy of of it being into overtime. I remember if I look at it now and thinking, okay, that was the, the gateway into overtime. I remember realizing that overtime felt so threatening to me. Mm -hmm. Overtime felt like a threat. It felt like I was being threatened and not necessarily by you, but just by the situation. Because what I recognize about all of the conflict that I've ever really been a part of is that it has always felt like what I was sharing was being misunderstood because you weren't agreeing to my point. 
Mm-hmm. And so because you weren't agreeing, I felt misunderstood. And that misunderstanding of whatever I was feeling, it felt like that was a direct challenge to my worth. It felt like I was no longer worthy because you weren't understanding my point. And then I would start to challenge myself similar to the way that you said about reflecting on the conversation. I would reflect on how I gave it. And I said, oh, you did such a crap job at explaining that. No wonder they misunderstood you. And then that just feeds the trap of lack of worthiness. And then that lack of worth says, well, then I'm not uh, valued in this world. And then that lack of value says, well, I must be separate from everybody and I must be the black sheep. And that black sheep speaks directly to tribalism and says, well, then I'm just going to be in the forest by myself and I'm going to die. And that correlation, that whole journey really, I mean, we're survival, we're a survival species, right? At the end of the day, our primal brains are survival species. So we do fear death more than we give credit to. And that's why so many people speak about, you know, get comfortable with this idea of death because it's no longer what it used to be. But that's how I would always see it is just like, I hated being misunderstood. It's one of my least favorite things. And it's still something I battle today is being misunderstood. I hate it. It triggers me so deeply. And each time I do, it's the opportunity for me to do the work. But that overtime was threatening because it felt like if we didn't align on a thought or if we didn't align on a idea or a next step, if we didn't fully align at the beginning, right? Because overtime is the collaborating space, right? If we didn't align in in the the full time of the game, then we must not be collaborators. We not must not be in tune as I thought we were. And this happens a lot in in relationships too, right? Like obviously you and I have a relationship, right? We have a, a deep friendship and I, separate from that, I have my partner, right? Who I have an intimate relationship with. And that's the same thing. There's this idea that we need to enmesh, right? The enmeshment feeling is so deep. And for, for any time we're collaborating with someone, I'm like, please enmesh with me. Cause if you don't, then I must, I must suck. Mm-hmm. it's so crazy how quickly I think. And so many people I speak to is that as soon as it feels like we're not enmeshing with another person fully, uh, that is close to us. And that's why I speak to the conflict resolution style changes with the person. If it's someone we're close to, we feel like we need to enmesh. And if we don't, then we must not be as connected as I thought, which is not true, mm-hmm. but it's how it feels. It feels like you and I aren't as connected. Me and my partner are not as connected. And it is, such a crazy journey of um, self-abandonment and self-sacrificing our own needs and wants to make sure that we enmesh. My friends, let's talk about mental health and the sponsor of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Tether, a peer-enabled mental health and well-being platform for men. Tether helps men find meaning and purpose through community, accountability pods, and a 24-7 support network. Tether invites us all to be a part of changing the face of masculinity and letting every man know that struggling and vulnerability doesn't make you any less of a man. It simply makes you human. And for me, I've had a lot of personal experience with this app. I've used it many times. I've shared a lot of vulnerable moments. I've shared some strength moments, some exciting moments. The app is open for everyone to simply just share. And like I said in the introduction, a peer-enabled space where we're supporting each other without any pressure to fix, just simply to honor each other's journey. They also just added in a conscious 
content section where they're sharing podcasts, they're sharing blog posts. It is a really powerful space. So we really want to implore you and encourage you to download it from the app and Google store. It is Tether, T-E-T-H-R, available on both app stores. Join the community. I promise you will not regret it. And there's, you bring up something there that, you know, I want to flick back to you and hear your, you talk about me and then you talk about your partner, right? You're talking about some masculine energy. You're talking about some feminine energy. How do you, in your end, you've kind of already spoke about how you change your conflict resolution style for who you're speaking to. Is there a difference between when you're, okay, here's my, here's a business partner and a friend. He's a male. Here's my partner. She's a female and I'm in an intimate relationship with her. And I know that I have different conflict resolution style. Do you think that you, you handle those conversations differently? And if you do, what's different about them? Mm-hmm. Great question. And what this speaks to me or speaks and says to me is my, how do I phrase it? It is, I think what I've recognized about my life is based on my childhood and seeing very unhealthy expressions of conflict resolution, very unhealthy conflict resolution styles. It made me feel incredibly disconnected with men, very disconnected with men. And I I read some things on this and it is often a result of that experience for a lot of people is that when they see a very unhealthy dynamic from their male parent figure in the sense of like, I want to break the cycle and never want to be like him, that sometimes tends to lead to a disconnection with men in the future. And for me, I recognize that I grew up with a lot of feminine energy around me that was also um, attempting to step into the masculine role as well. And with that came their own insecurities and struggles with their, their own masculine and feminine energies because of their upbringing and so on and so forth, the generational challenges that we all face. And I think we're all trying to break and, and change now. And what that did for me was as I stepped into becoming friends with men, um, I recognized that I had a really hard time. And I look at some of my circles growing up and you and I have such different spaces where you've had this deep connection with a lot of men for so long and you have your group and you've had groups. And for me, I've had, I've had male friends, always men, always. It's not like it's been absent, but the connecting of has been a hard time for me because I always just felt like I was better connected air quotes with women and therefore would not connect so deeply with men. And that in turn put me often into my feminine energy. And then what that did was made it hard for me to navigate a tougher conversation with a man because a lot of times what I saw was, or I felt I saw was what I grew up with. I felt like if I allowed this space to get into a realm of conflict, then it would turn into what they did as a child. What I saw as a child, that rage, that, that, uh, over domineering, that dominance, that, that abusive language. Like that's how I always felt it would get to. And so out of fear of it getting to that, I would never allow it to. And therefore I would pull back. So in the men's space, like you mentioned, coming back full circle with yourself, I have had a history of our relationship, you and I, of just saying, okay, like, cool, let's just do that. And in fear of 
that conflict because conflict with men, I've never understood how to handle because I've never been shown how to, and I've never had the opportunity to do so. Flip that into my space now with my intimate partner. It is a completely different journey because I recognize that dealing with conflict with all of the, the women in my life growing up was something I was always faced with, always, whether I was with my family or where I was with an actual partner. And we spoke about this, right? I was a serial dater. I would date and date and date. And reflecting on that, although I did not handle it well, just going to preface that when I was younger, I was just thinking about this last night. I did not handle conflict well with my partners. Um, but moving into the space I am now, I recognize that the way that I handle conflict with women has always been better and more inviting. I've, I've been willing to do so and not willing to do so with another man. And how that has looked, how it's progressed is uh, before I would not know what to do with the resistance in my body. And it would feel so overwhelming because I, I, no one taught me how to handle that feeling or how to sit with it. So then I would express that in a physical way, whether it was hitting myself. So that's how I would handle that conflict in that moment is I would hit myself or I would um, punch holes in walls. That was my expression of the conflict, the conflict resolution or the resistance in my body. Now that I've learned to sit with it, I recognize that I still have that urge a bit to want to do something physical with my body. I need to move. I either need to like go for a run or I need to, you know, go and do some boxing or some sort of like physical movement because that's what feels like it's releasing the energy. And if I don't have the opportunity to do so, then I have to sit with it and I have to learn how to just be with that resistance and that level of conflict. And then also now learn how to communicate in that time. And that's been really hard for me. But what I recognized about handling conflict with her is it's challenging because I have to learn how to communicate better, but it has evolved into ownership. And I think that's where I was, I was going wrong a lot of the time is that I was never really owning my experience or owning my truth because I always felt misunderstood. So how can I own something I don't understand? So as I learned how to learn, when, how I learned about myself, I realized that I have to own myself, my truth, and my part in this experience. And now I am in a beautiful relationship where we're both doing that. How did I contribute to this conflict? How did my tone change this? How did my struggle with communication change this? Um, how did my actions change this? Everything we're doing right now is, is the space of ownership combined with microscopic truth. So the little tiny pieces of truth that we don't normally share, we're sharing because those are contributing, right? Those little tiny pieces are contributing to this conflict. They're contributing to this argument. And if we don't express them, then we're suppressing them. And that is going to cause either resentment um, in the moment or future resentment. And we never want that. So that's kind of how the progression has changed and is different between, I guess, the two spaces in, I guess, a long-winded way of answering it. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot there to, to kind of poke at. You talked a little bit there about your childhood. You talked about, you know, just your natural willingness to even engage in the conversation with men versus with women. You highlighted the fact that, you know, with women, it wasn't that you were more successful. You were just more willing to try. You just weren't willing to try with, you know, the men's space as much. Um, question that I had kind of off of the back of that, that elaborate story, do you have a 
event and experience that, you know, you look back on that was more so game changing or eye opening for your conflict resolution style? Like, did you have a argument that was like the catalyst for things got to change? This isn't working. This, mm-hmm. this, the way I'm going about this moment is not it. Or you learned something about a healthy debate style through a, through a certain experience with a female partner. It's a good question. I think it would be beautiful to have that moment where it was like, whoa, something's not working. And I've had that in the relational space where I recognized my relational patterns were not working. And that led me to being single for two years. That was a big turning point and that I can speak to clearly. But in conflict resolution, maybe it was a similar time frame if I'm reflecting on it, but I don't know if it was necessarily a turning point. And I think what I acknowledge is that the the turning point would have, I guess, been when I started to understand myself and how I did that was invest in the time it takes to understand myself. And what I recognized is that I was never doing that, even though I thought I was. I always thought I knew who I was. I always thought I understood myself. And what I ended up finding was that I was playing the victim to those things. I was, oh, this is just my communication style. Or, oh, this is just how I grew up. Or, oh, this is just how I was born. Or, this is just what I was taught. Just expressing it in that way basically says I am powerless to my circumstances. And I did that for as long as I can remember. And I think a lot of us do. I think that's what I've recognized is I noticed so many um, conversations where it, something is pointed out. It's like, that's just who I am. And that statement of that's just who I am is basically imprisoning us in our current circumstance. Mm -hmm. It's, it's saying I can't change. And that is that's a tough space to be in and you know i reflect on it and it kind of hurts a little bit to express because it just it it doesn't feel good to reflect on that piece of me sometimes it doesn't feel good to reflect on the 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 powerlessness that i sat in because sitting in the space i am now recognizing that i am infinitely powerful um it just it seems odd to reflect and be like oh you sat in a space of you thought you couldn't do anything about anything but coming back to the, the conflict resolution space, I think when I started to get into the personal growth space is when I was like, oh, whoa, hold on. Like, look at you. These are your patterns that you've never seen before. This is interesting. Okay. Let's look into this pattern and try to decide or decipher what it is. And it's kind of the idea of like self-awareness leads only two ways. It leads to um, success or it leads to suffering. And so before that self-awareness was heightened I always speak about that growing up. I was very self-aware and very aware of my surroundings, as were you. And I think it was what about it is about what I was doing with it. And in that time, it was nothing. It was just, oh, yeah, I know. There's the answer. I'm aware. I know. And that led to suffering because you do nothing about it. And so you sit in the space of powerlessness. And then, then you step into the current experience I'm having, which is success. Every time I see something that I become aware of, I say, okay. How can I be better? What can I do differently? How can I change that? How can I improve that? So it helps the common good, whether that's my own personal experience of life or my relationships or my friendships. How do I get better at that? Because this resistance I'm sitting in doesn't feel good anymore. And it was getting in tune with my body, 
getting in tune with the physical intuition that I was feeling that happened every single time. I just was never in tune with it. That resistance was telling me something that was a stress in my body saying, move, do something differently. And that was a slow progression to answer your question. It took and has taken, I would say the last three to four years of practice of, of constant practice. And I don't get it right a lot of the time. And my conditioning comes through a lot of the time and my old patterns come through a lot of the time. And every single time it's like, Oh yeah, there's my old pattern. I see you. Oh, yep. There's my old pattern. I see you. And like you said earlier, honoring that journey and honoring that space and knowing that that's how you were. And this is what you want to be now. This is what you're going to be in the future. So I think that that's, that's kind of how it's been for me. I don't think there was a turning point. It was this, uh, it's been a constant journey. I face it every day, to be honest, still today, I face it every day. And I think I probably will, but I, I'll learn to get better at facing it every day. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always, I always, you know, anytime you're growing in a space, you know, sometimes it's a hard growth, like, you know, sometimes it's a sharp left turn. It's an event, it's an experience. It's a uh, one thing really, you know, uh, put a lot of light on, you know, how you were acting and you're like, Oh my God, that no, we got to change that. And sometimes it's just this gradual kind of like, you know, ever evolving evolution of yourself. That's just, you can't pinpoint it, but you've been on a trajectory of, you know, changing from one argument to another and you can't pinpoint it. I like finding breakthrough moments within people's stories because they often offer the most clean example or the most clean feedback someone when you have a turning point it's a a whole body a whole mental experience and when you share that you know the audience can feel it the audience is like oh man like i i resonate with that heavily and they can maybe also create a uh you know uh a game-breaking solution for them for me there was there was definitely a time you know in my life where you know couple of times in my life, specifically in debates or arguing with somebody in an unhealthy way where I was left with a nugget that like, damn, really, really showed me like who I was in the moment, you know? Um, was that something that they spoke to you or something you reflected on and realized? No, sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's someone, something directly like, you know, I can think of a time where I was in Europe with my cousin and we're traveling and, you know, we were, we were debating something um, and we were, we were going back and forth and it's getting a little bit intense and, you know, we're going back and forth and he, it clicked in for him. Um, I had said something like, like, yeah, I don't care though, but it's my opinion. And he registered like, oh, that's your opinion? Oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. Then whatever. Like it was almost like by me saying it's my opinion, it almost like it, it changed the conversation. It was like, Oh, you're not, you're not, you're not speaking that as a fact. You're speaking it as your opinion. Cause you're, you're there's space for your opinion here. That's fine. We can, I can honor your opinion, but what you, the way you were communicating was like, as if you knew that for facts and mm-hmm. that isn't, it wasn't factual what you were saying. And so, you know, I remember walking away from that being like, I need to be able to be better at announcing what's subjective and what's objective in this conversation. You know, what are we arguing? What are we, what are we going back and forth about, you know, and and making it very clear, like I am feeling this or I, from my experience have seen this and this and that, that allows for the person to respond in a way that is respectful of what you're talking about. Is it subjective what you're talking about or is it objective, you know? And so I took, I took that with me and was like, okay, cool. That's going to make me a better communicator in the future. That experience, that conflict, that, that, that little thing that he left me with, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then I had a, you know, another scenario in my life where 
um, you know, my mom and my dad had two completely different opinions on a subject matter, right? And my mom being more expressive and being more communicative, she was able to kind of, I guess, express her story way more articulate, way more clear, right? Um, and was willing to have that conversation. You know, we talk more often than me and my dad do. So we would talk, we would talk. So I'm hearing one side of the story a lot, right? Like, in, which, is, which is now going to speak to like, you know, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias says when you accumulate enough information from one side, you get really resistant to opening up to the other side, right? Now you're going to show up and you're going to be very one-sided in the way you enter this conversation. And in this example, my mom was giving me the confirmation bias. Like I was getting all this information from one side, right? Just feeding the beast. And then when I entered the conversation with my dad, I noticed I hadn't had any information from his side, but the passion in which I was like communicating from was very one-sided from very, Mm -hmm. a lot of my confirmation bias of what I thought about this idea and this event. And I remember we were going back and forth. We're having a very, very, very ugly conversation. And we walked away and he came back two hours later and he left me with one of the most powerful things I have ever, like, it was like shaking to me. He said, Anwar, you're a very, very smart man. I'm embarrassed that you wouldn't even take the time to understand the other side of the story before formulating a final answer or a final decision. And it was like, damn. Cause I never really even opened up to the opposite side. I'm mm. in like war. I'm in like a war zone right now fighting for one side of the equation. And I haven't even opened the door to understanding yet. And I'm in this ugly tussle, you know, and it was like, there's always two sides to a story, Anwar. There's always two sides to a story and your life is your experience and your confirmation bias will generally take over because that's the story that you understand to be true. But if there's a conflict, there means you need to take the time to at least understand the other side and what they're bringing to the table, even though if it's against what you already know to be true by your experience. And he left me with that and walked away. I went and cooled off and I came back. And the person that I came back with was just like, okay, you talk. And now let me formulate an opinion based on what you had said versus what I'm assuming is, is to be true based on old patterns, based on what you've done before. A lot of people get into healthy, in a relationship, a lot of times people fight over past stuff. Like, so the energy that you're bringing to this conversation isn't a matter of understanding who this person, who you're speaking to now, you're, you're, you're leveraging old data. And you're usually leveraging old data because you didn't you didn't handle the conflict well with the old data and the old things. So that's just that's coming up because it was never actually taken care of. It was never, never actually resolved. You never dealt with it. Never dealt with it. You know, and so being aware that my opinion is going to have a, a huge, you know, influence on how this conversation goes, you know, being able to say, hey, this is my opinion. You know, and this is this is how I feel gives the other person the opportunity to respect my opinion. And then now, you know, you're in a healthy, unhealthy conversation. They don't even respect your opinion. 
then that, that then then they, they don't even care what you have to say, and you can just choose to you know leave the conversation if that's not if you don't feel like your opinion is being re- or your journey is being honored or is being respected in the conversation, then we're not going to get very far anyways. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, then and the it's second, be, it's it's sorry, it speaks to a, a quote that I just came across that speaks to this whole experience is that um, we are the the only thing we are the expert of is our own experience. Mm-hmm. That is the only thing we are the expert of. And what that speaks to is that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And what I notice about my conflict in life is that I'm not fully um, accepting of my own truth. And therefore that does not allow me to also accept that you have your own truth. So if I'm not fully in my own space and saying, okay, this is my truth right now, then I will open up myself to yours. And then of course, we're going to have conflict because now I'm not just fighting your truth. I'm also fighting my own truth. And the ability to open up to that, I think it's, it's honestly, is one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it really is just, well, every time I get into a conflict now, it is recognizing that I'm the expert of my own experience. And if I can understand that I'm the expert of my own experience, then that allows me to understand you are the expert of your own experience. So if you tell me you feel X, Y, Z about this conversation, you're mad or you're upset or you're frustrated, I can take that personally. And I probably will. But I also have to understand that that is your experience, not mine. And if I can do that, then I can see that we're having two completely different experiences and that's okay because that's what's going to happen every single time. Your experience is never going to be mine. I'm never going to feel the same way you feel about something. Even if I agree or I align, I still don't feel it like you do. I don't notice it like you do. And that's okay. Uh, but we don't have to have that that alliance, that that fully, fully enmeshed alliance that I was speaking to earlier. It's not the case. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's just the quote that came out. But you were about to say point two. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, that's a great point, right? Like that, that goes into the second bit of, you know, an opinion is one thing. And if two people are arguing about their opinion, no, understand the limitations of that, first and mm-hmm. foremost, you know, understand the limitations of going into a heavy debate when it comes to two people's opinions, because there is no, you know, an opinion is an opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you're better off just kind of acknowledging the opinion and kind of at least knowing that's a good place to just kind of know, like allow the, your partner or whoever you're speaking to understand where you stand on the matter. You know, the vaccine is a great example. It's, we don't need to agree. This is my opinion. This is your opinion. Cool. We just understand mm-hmm. where our opinions are. You know, we can respect that. Um, and so now, you know, a healthier, like this is a great example of like two people having an opinion and being able to respect that opinion, right? Now, if I was somebody whose opinion was, I don't want to be vaccinated and you were someone's opinion was, I want you to be vaccinated, right? Uh, and now I want you to come over. Well, you know what my opinion is on this. So respect mm-hmm. my space, Right. So now don't be coming in here with no mask on and just acting a fool because then you, that, that's your opinion. I understand what your opinion is, but the respect level. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what my opinion is. So so if you want to kind of come into my space or you want to be to respect the other person's opinion, you can you can disagree with someone and still respect what what their opinion is. 100%. You know what I mean, and that is the fine line between if you're going to argue something about uh, opinions, it's cool to have different opinions. Just respect the other person's opinion, especially if you're going to enter their space or you're going to do things, um, you know what I mean, um, with them or in collaboration with them. Um, 
it's, you know, religious, like we have religions, we have different belief systems, we have so many different things that are different in this world, but we find ways to collaborate and we find ways to not convert people to being who we are and making everyone just a melting pot. We honor who they are and we find ways to like, you know, collaborate. You know, so that's one thing. The other, the other thing was, you know, just always being able to be open. What my dad taught me in that lesson was, you know, nothing is going to get resolved if you don't actually take the time to want to understand the other person's side. You know, your opinion is empty if it's one sided. If you are only carrying one half of the one half of the story, your your opinion is pretty much useless. Like, you know, you don't even have the other you don't even have the understanding or the willingness to accept and listen to the opposite side, you know, and fully indulge in what they had to say, because their experience is different to yours. Their 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 confirmation biases are different to yours. Um, and so you need to 100 percent take the time to understand that and take the time to before so heavily exuding your experience you know take the time to listen being an active listener in debates is definitely super important and i think for the men's space the last one i definitely learned this one from females is you can't solve emotional problems with logic doesn't work <laughs> does not work um, i just did that last night yeah continue i you know i often have found myself you know in a in in a, in, a, in a space with you know females where you know they are trying to tell me something that is emotionally bothering them and that is is in a, is being dr driven by their emotions and i'm rationally trying to solve the problem with logic and it doesn't work um and so if you find yourself in a space where you're, you know, you're in conflict with your partner or your significant other and you're arguing, like I always say, like, is this an emotional problem or is this a logical problem? You know, if it's a logical problem, then my logical problem solving skills are probably can be deployed. If it's an emotional problem, then I need to deploy my emotional problem solving skills. And then you, you got to meet them where they're at, you know, with the conflict itself, or else you're just going to create a bigger mess, you know? So that's something that I've had to, I had to learn. I remember, you know, to share a story. I remember I was going out for dinner with, um, with a woman and she kept saying, like, you know, I remember coming, I remember picking her up and she was super not into it, like moody. Um, I'd been seeing this person for a little while um, and she was really moody uh, and just like, now I was like, Hey, how's it going? You know, one of those days where you're just like, you're just like, clearly something is wrong, but you're not telling me what's wrong. And now I'm annoyed, right? Because we're supposed to have dinner. It's supposed to be a good night. I'm annoyed because you're not telling me what's wrong, but you're clearly acting different. Like, so what are we doing here? You know, so we go for dinner and, you know, I know there's a lot of people probably listening that are like, oh, I know, I know, I know this, I know this dynamic. So you're sitting at dinner and it's like, what do you want? I don't know. I don't know. You're dealing with the, the negative emotion of someone who's going through something, but isn't willing to share what they're going through. Right. And so at the end of the night, she finally finds like, you know, a little bit of the courage to kind of just, she's like, hey, you know, sorry for, you know, being a little bit disconnected and stuff like that. I just like, I've noticed that, you know, you don't call me beautiful enough or you don't say that I'm good, like, like attractive. And, you know, so for her, you know, she had gone all dressed up and she had got like, she had looked good. And when we first interacted, I didn't say anything. I was like, Hey, you know, good to see you. I kind of moved past that. We moved on to the night. She, and she, she like, she took that personally. And then at the end of the night, she used it as a way to now like go against every, like, like as if I've never done that before, you know, like she took this one moment and she's made it seem like I had never called her beautiful or I never addressed that. Um, and I remember going into that, you know, that conversation on a completely different tune. You know, I was like, 
like, and I went in there with like logic. I was like, listen, first of all, would I be seeing you if I didn't think you were attractive? Like for starters, there's so many people that I could be dating. I'm literally dating you. That is like validation that I think you're attractive. Like I could have picked, of course I think you're attractive. Like why would I even be in a relationship with you? And then I'm going down all these rabbit holes of just like every time that I've done it or like proof of like, you know, all these logical, like, you know, answers to the question. I just remember being like, this is like, you know, I don't even think I solved that problem in the moment. I think it's years later that I realized like that, how I could have handled that situation a bit better. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, in that conversation, in that, you know, she was like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like, just because you th- thought I was beautiful doesn't mean that I'm beautiful today. And she's trying to like, she's like, I wanted to feel beautiful. And she's like, everything that she's saying is from like how she's feeling and her emotions. Everything I'm saying is like from logic, proof of concept, like, like things that are, and we're just not meeting eye to eye. This is, it's proof blowing of up. concept. <laughs> it's blowing up in our face and we leave. And, you know, you know, years later, I reflect on that, that kind of conversation. And it's just like, now that I understand, it's just, you know, you deal with that. You just go, you know, hey, so, sorry, I didn't make you feel beautiful today. Sorry, I didn't say, you know, um, uh, like, because I'm talking about today. I can apologize for not saying, you know, I'm sorry for not noticing that, you know, you looked good and you, you, you know, I felt it, but I didn't say it. I didn't vocalize, you know, what I wanted to say. Like, I obviously acknowledged it and I'll do a better job in the future of, you know, making sure that, and then you realize that certain people just have insecurities, right? Like, they have insecurities that need a little bit more tending to, especially from their significant other, you know, like, and it was an insecurity of her that she felt, you know, she wasn't not beautiful or inadequate. And, you know, she was hoping that I would help her with, you know, getting over that insecurity. And when you don't show up and you don't show up and you notice things and you don't call them out, they can bleed over. But I didn't need to go such a logical I didn't have to go down a logical path to solve that problem. I could have easily just met her emotionally where she was at, been like, hey, you know, sorry, I missed that opportunity. You know, uh, I think you're beautiful. Uh, You know, sorry, I didn't mention it earlier today. And, you know, I can get into a more vulnerable state, a more emotional state and just speak to her heart a little bit more, you know, connected than trying to prove my point in a logical sense, which I probably could have won that argument if I went down that path, but it doesn't work, you know, and so another great thing that I try to focus on is that, is this an emotional problem or is this a logical problem? You know, if logically you are, you know, you're trying to get this much amount of work done in this much amount of time. Now I can, I can bring my problem solving skills logically. We'll do this, do this, and then do this and do this. And it actually will be beneficial. If you did those things, it probably will work. Um, but I feel this way. You maybe feel like this. Those aren't times to start like bringing logic to the equation. Um, so those are kind of big, my big life takeaways from like, you know, debating and getting into an ugly place before realizing, okay, you know, sometimes things are objective and subjective, understand where you're at with that. You know, sometimes you make sure you always know the other person's side and that confirmation bias is going to play a big role in how you attack a problem or attack a conflict. Um, and then lastly, just don't try to solve logic. Don't try to solve emotional problems with logic, meet them emotionally, get there, get, get, get vulnerable, you know, and I think that that's something that men struggle with is that, you know, we don't want to get into that vulnerable space, you know, um, a lot of times I've seen this, like when women talk, there is no, there is no conclusion of the conversation. They just get it out. And then they go and they just like, they just embrace each other and they like get it all out. And there's no, there's no resolution. Like, 
And so when she's so used to getting that from her girlfriends and then her boyfriend's trying to fix things all the time and is trying to find a conclusion and is trying to like, you know, prove the point and is logical about everything. There's no room for the emotion. There's no room to just feel something and move through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and men, we don't, you don't, you don't bring, typically we just are like, hey man, I'm having a problem with this. And it's almost like, hey guys, tell me what to do about this. Like we yeah. are just like, let's solve the problem. Like, let's move through. Like, like he said, this problem, we got X, Y, Z solution. And then we bring that to our relationship. And it's just, there's a massive disconnect there. It doesn't work. Mm, that, that actually just happened. I actually want to share a quick story on that. So my partner is a women's coach and I'm a man's coach. And we were speaking about our clients recently and I had a discovery call with the man and we were speaking and connecting and just, you know, building a relationship. And then he started questioning me and he said, okay, so what are the steps that you've taken to overcome this experience in your life? So I share, and then he's like, okay. And so like, what, what are your steps for coaching? And I'm like, okay, I hear your question for me. There's not steps necessarily. There is a process, a due process. That's not one, two, three, X, Y, Z. It's let's see what's coming up first and address that and see if we can get to the deeper root of what's actually happening. And for him, I felt the energetic unalignment in the sense of he wanted to know exactly how we were going to get there and what it looked like. And I laughed at that because I found it super fascinating based on the conversation I had with my partner, where she said all of her clients, they don't want any, they don't want her to to solve anything. What they're actually looking for in the discovery call is just to see that they can talk to her. If they can talk to her, they're like, cool, you're hired. I'm going to work with you. They're not looking, they're they're really just looking to share. And it speaks so uh, hilariously to the dynamic difference between the two and how, if we don't know the answer, if we don't feel like we can find the answer, then it doesn't seem valuable to us as men. We need that answer. And to backtrack a bit to your conversation about uh, the compliments that that she felt that she wasn't receiving, I've had very similar experiences just recently with that. And what I recognized about that is, A, uh, words of affirmation is her love language. So if that's her love language and I'm not giving it to her, then she's not going to feel loved. And then she is going to have a space of outburst where it's like, hey, listen, I'm not feeling loved. And I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on a second. I feel like I'm loving you. Like I'm with you. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I pull the track record. Right. And then what I recognized is that um, they're never looking at the track record. They're actually, and it's so funny how quickly we jump to the track record of all the things we have done previously when the, the woman that we're with or the partner that we're with is almost literally almost never looking at the track record. They're looking at today. They're much more present than we are. And in that sense, I think what I notice about myself is that I have often neglected the fact that it's not a past involvement. It's a present moment conversation. What did I not do in this moment? And if there's something that is coming up in conversation today, that does mean that there has been many instances in the last recent time that I have also been not doing it. And it just hasn't been a conversation. And so when we conversate about that moment, I recognize two things. One, um, I'm thinking the thought and I'm not expressing the thought Mm -hmm. in the sense of I look at my partner and she's dressed up and I look at her and in my head, I'm like, wow, she looks great. And then we move on and I don't actually speak anything out loud. That happens. I swear, I swear to you 99% of the time. And then number two, I do that enough times where I don't express, I think. 
And that leads to a deeper and bigger conversation about, hey, do you ever think I look good? And then I get defensive because I'm like, what do you mean? I've thought that like a million times, Mm -hmm. but because I haven't shared it, that's, it doesn't actually have hold value to them and to our partner. And that is so true to the conversation. And I know this isn't necessarily speaking to directly conflict, but the way that I'm going to tie it in is that in partnership, I feel like the mass majority of conversations that are conflict-based are a struggle with giving you your what you need in a love language and receiving from you what I need from a love language. So if I don't feel loved, it's because I'm not giving, being given love in the way I need to receive it or I, I like to receive it and vice versa. If I'm not giving you the love in the way that you receive it, then we're going to feel disconnected because you don't feel like I, I'm loving you. And that's your truth right? If you need, if you are looking for words of affirmation, that is okay. It's not, it's not always necessarily um, an insecurity, although sometimes it absolutely is. Um, It is just the way that you receive love and that's okay. And it doesn't mean I have to compliment your dress or have to compliment your makeup or the way you look or your nails. It means, Hey, I'm proud of you for taking care of that the other day, or, Hey, thank you so much for doing the dishes or anything. It's just some sort of vocal expression that affirms your my love for you. It doesn't have to be I love you. And then rarely is it actually I love you because well, we know that term is kind of not really holding a lot of value these days. It's more about those smaller nuances of thank you for making the bed. I appreciate you. Um, thank you for taking care of that. I appreciate that. Great job on that. The little ones, it's always those things that actually for what I've recognized is negate those conversations in the future of you're not complimenting me because there's an overload. There's an excess because we're actually speaking what we're thinking. And that reduces the the opportunity for conflict to arise in the future. But I want to backtrack myself. When that conflict does come, again, I'm going to uh, directly relate it to my experience um, of owning that that is something that I may not be doing instead of saying, um, I have been doing this or you're wrong or what do you mean? Like, I, I think about that all the time. Like, those kinds of things are not helping the conversation. It's just about listening to their experience and be like, oh, you, there, there's, how do I get to a space where I realize that you actually may be right? Because you are in your own mind, you're right. And in my own mind, I'm right. So how do I get to a space where I understand that you think you're right and that's okay? So how do I pull the truth out of what you're saying about myself? How do I pull the truth out of that? And in a bigger, well-rounded way, I guess, to speak to your kind of like one, two, three kind of ideas of how we can handle conflict. Um, for me, uh, it is that I, I, I subscribe to the idea that there isn't necessarily a truth. There is no one all generalized truth. And I, I think that conflict arises specifically out of that. There was one truth and that everyone follows that truth, good, bad, right, wrong, et cetera, because the truth is subjective, I think almost always. Um, I think that objective truths don't often necessarily always exist because they have stemmed or been created from one person's truth in the past. So the idea of calling something a light bulb, right? Yes, that could be a truth, but that was a truth based out of the person who created the light bulb. So that's his truth that we've all just adopted. And that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the truth. It's just what we've always called it. And we all align with that and we feel fine with that. That's perfect. But we could have called it anything based on what he decided to call it. That's just how it goes. So for me, knowing that um, truths can be molded and shifted 
is what helps me in conflict is that my truth isn't necessarily the answer. It's, and more often, it's not the answer. It's just the way I've always gone about it. But I can go about it a different way or I can think about it a different way. And I had a conversation with someone at the bar the other day that said, what we love to do is ask people their opinions on something so then we can allow ourselves to maybe see it differently. And that really was like, oh, wow, like I, I would love to grow up and be more like that as often as I can. What do you think about this? How do you think about that? Like the idea of language changes we're going through in the world right now, that's causing so much conflict. They said, did you know that it is inappropriate to call it a master key for your house, a master key, because it's the same concept of master bedroom that speaks to racial, um, uh, racial times where it was the the white person was in the master bedroom and everyone else was not. So that's the master's room, the master of the, the space. Same with the master key. It's the same thing. And I was like, whoa, interesting. I've never thought about it. However, there was resistance because to me, I've always called it a master key. This is the master key. And these are all the copies of the master key. Here's the one that's really like the one. And I, I found it hilarious to be like, oh, that clicks for me. And what I did in that moment was on the fly, realizing that my truth wasn't necessarily the truth. It was just what I knew. And I was allowing myself, like I said earlier, to be open to whatever was coming into me that could potentially mold me into thinking a different way, which is hard. But I think that's the work. That's the work I face every day, inner conflict and outer conflict is how do I open myself up to new perspectives always that will allow me to be better because they really, that's what they do. Even everything you say in this podcast is allowing me to be a better person. I like that. Uh, so much, like, I mean, sometimes the, the, the part about listening to, you know, long winded answers is you're like, you're like, Whoa, you just went on a long ride. I just went on a nice little long winded ride. And, you know, I think we kind of, we kind we kind of started at, you know, that, one thing I wanted to kind of go back to is I thought there was so much power in it was like, you know, how you're going about a consultation call with men and how, you know, you know, your partner is going through a consultation call with, you know, women and what they're looking for and, you know, what they're trying to align with. And that's telling to me, and it's so, it should, it should allow men to just understand a little bit more of if this is how consultation calls go, Right there's a lot more, it should tell you a lot about, you know, how you should engage in a, and maybe you don't have, maybe, you know, we're also trying to get rid of, you know, any kind of stigma. We're not going to assume that, you know, women only want to be spoken mm -hmm. to in an emotional way. And like, they don't like logic. They don't like fixing things too. There's women that love fixing yeah. things too. There's men that want to be spoken to in a more emotional capacity and don't fix my problem. Don't tell me what to do. Just at, offer perspective, just like, you know, give me some options on, you know, what right. to do, but you know, the work there is understanding who your partner is, understanding their tendencies, under, willing to learn. Um, you know, we talked about our conflict earlier too. I remember a very explicit question I asked you. I said, hey, I know that you're friends with this person. When you guys get into conflict, like who takes what position and how do you guys manage that conflict? And that was my way of saying, look, let's get out of our environment. Let me get into another environment of yours. And how do you manage conflict with a different person? And how can I maybe adopt some of the qualities that they're doing? And that's the willingness to like, want to like, you know, actually make it work. The Like, you know, actually, you know, I don't want to fight you in a way that's unhealthy. You know, I want to find a, because at the end of the day, to me, it's how you argue is more important than not trying to argue, mm. you know, not trying to argue is, is, is like what we were talking about before trying to kill the ego, 
trying to shut the voice off. It's inevitable. Arguing is a part of the, the process of life. Running into conflict is a part of the process of life. No one has the same journey as you. There's mm-hmm. no way someone's going to see everything exactly how you see it. Use your siblings as an example if you have one. Like, how do you have conflict with your sibling? You got grew up in the exact same household with the same parents looking at the exact same things, but you don't agree on a bunch of stuff. It's because your experience has nothing to do with your sibling's experience, though the environment might be as close to, like, as close to identical as possible. Um, even two twins are going to have like, like conflict and they're twins. Um, so it's just, it just goes to show that, you know, the more willingness you are, the more willing you are to, you know, you do need to deploy a certain level of compromise in life. And that's just, you know, if any partnership, anything that's going to work, I think you just want to understand that you don't want to overcompromise, right? Compromise is great. Overcompromising gets dangerous. You know, you give up, you give up, you give up, you give up then there's nothing left of you and you feel like you don't belong in the space anymore. Right. Um, if you just roll over and, you know, don't, if you give up with every kind of concept that we have and this podcast becomes modern masculinity, but the whole back, the whole back end is Anwar's ideas. At some point you're going to be like, am I even a part of this? But that's what overcompromising can lead you down is a path of, you know, just never really contributing and never really being willing to like fight for, you know, your story, but also wanting to understand but at the end of the day, we have to come to a compromise. Two ideas have to come together. Um, right. And, and that to put language to that, that's compromising. And then there's sacrificing. And then there's collaborating. Mm. And that's, that, that's that thing like for me, what I'm listening here is that that's kind of what we've navigated is um, what we have had to do in this space is collaborate. If we weren't able to collaborate, then at some level, we would be sacrificing the majority of the time. And then the way that we collaborate is by using the power of compromising and saying, okay, let's use a piece of mine and a piece of yours. And it's not fully mine and it's not fully yours. And that's the compromise I'm willing to make because I see the value in yours. And I also see the value in mine and vice versa. So we're collaborating. And at no point are we saying, I'm going to sacrifice myself and my idea and my worth for this. I'm still going to be assertive in my language. I'm still going to be awake to this conversation. And what I want to do is collaborate with you. I don't want to avoid or defeat or sacrifice. Yeah, that's, that's what I pulled out of that so far. Yeah, no, love that. That's good. Good language. Good way to kind of look at it in a different way. If you, if you, so if you sacrifice too much, then it just leads you down a path of suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, just the, lastly, just like understanding kind of, you know, I mean, we, we always talk about, you know, self-awareness. We always talk about self-awareness, understanding, you know, how you are um, naturally, typically what you would do in a, and, and doing your best to manage that as best as you can, you know, uh, sometimes I need to go for a walk before, you know, conflict. A lot of the times before I engage in conflict, one thing I do is I will like, and now I'm just offering, you know, if you feel like you're one of those people who like flies off the cuff and all those kind of things, if I'm upset about something, I will often have the conversation with myself before I have the conversation with the person and mm. already see the spots in which I'm going to get annoyed and upset and pissed off, or, you know what I mean? Or I'm going to feel different. And I'll already have the conversation with myself and picture what they might have said back to me and imagine kind of how that conversation will go, the back and forth, and then go into the conversation of like, hey, I noticed that this happened. Um, uh, I wanted to bring up this because of this. It makes me feel like this. 
Um, and, you know, just being able to have that conversation. So you're not just going out of the seat of your pants. If you think that you're someone who gets defensive really quickly or, you know, that that's just the self-awareness. It's like, I know I might get defensive. If I get defensive, I'm going to defend myself too much. And that might lead me down an aggressive path. And I might get, you know, start like, you know, channeling too much of my ego. If you know that's what your track record has shown, maybe have the conversation with yourself first, you know, have that conversation, have that dialogue and then pick your battles, man. Oh my Lord. If I, someone just told me not every, you know, I don't got to die on every sword. It would have saved me a lot of time. You know um, I think the maturing process that teaches you that naturally is that, mm-hmm. you know, not every, not every battle needs to be won. Not every battle needs to, you don't need to put on the whole uniform for every single fight. You know, some of them just let them go. You know, some of them aren't worth it. Some of them show that you're willing to compromise more too, right? If I don't really care that much about this and I really just compromise in this environment later on when I really need this thing, maybe they will be more compromised because they know that you've compromised before, right? And that's mm-hmm. the, the picking and choosing of what battles you want to, you want, you need, you think that you need and what battles that you're like, ah, I don't have that much invested in this battle. I'm just fighting a fight. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, the awareness of that and picking your battles. And I think that it just comes with time and maturity because um, bickering, I read this quote here. It was like bickering is low intensity, chronic warfare. And it was like, whoa. And it, like low intensity to me is just like such a, like, it's like, so it's got no merit. It's got no weight. And it's just like, like bickering is the worst thing you could do. And that to me is like, if you're in a relationship and you're constantly bickering, those are, you got to pick your battles better. Bickering is like when you're in a partnership, the other person is looking to feel like you're their cheerleader. You're their support system. You're their ally. And bickering just only promotes, you only see me in a negative light. Like you're constantly willing to bring up a negative thing about me. And it's this negative brush, this negative brush, just like this. And though it's corrective, And I think that this, I feel like I could see this happening with parenting as well. Like you're trying to correct your kids so much that it comes off like a nagging little bicker, 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 bicker. And your intentions are good. You want your kid to be better or you want your partner to improve. But the long-term effect of this, these low frequency chronic warfare is, is not worth it. You know, it's not worth it in the bigger picture. Bickering is just like low hanging fruit that you're just reaching for that is like very low validation in it. You hurt the person in the process. Um, It's just just adult temper tantrums. Adult temper tantrum. Um, And if you feel like you're bickering too much, it's probably time to go inward a little bit and figure out what's bothering you. You know, Mm -hmm. I know in this brainstorm session, you, you know, you were like, you know, let's talk a little bit about internal conflict. We never really talked about that. Um, But I always find that when I'm dealing with a lot more internal conflict, I'm way more susceptible with, an unhealthy argument style because my internal conflict, my internal dialogue is off. You know, mm-hmm. I'm battling myself and then you want to go say something personal to me. I'm right back down. I'm already fighting a battle. And then you want to add another battle. Like, let's go. Um, so, you know, dealing with your internal dealing with the conflict that you're dealing with inside about yourself, the frustrations that you have about your own, you know, how you're showing up and all of those things, manage those as best as you can. And it'll allow you to have a little bit more patience with your other person, you know, um, cause if you feel like your boss is nagging you all day and then you come home and you just start nagging somebody else, it's like, you're, you're, you're just bringing that up. You're just bringing what's going on with you into this world. And it, there's no need for this. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's no space for this. Um, and that just goes with managing your, you know, your internal dialogue and your internal conflict. So, um, I hope that that, you know, 
I hope that there was, there was little nuggets there that, you know, people took away um, in terms of kind of our personal experience. Um, I don't know, what would be kind of your, I guess, your biggest, your biggest takeaway from this conversation, uh, from conflict resolution styles in general, um, or is there something that, you know, you wanted to leave the audience with um, from this topic? Yeah, I was actually just reflecting on my experiences and what I've learned. Uh, so that was perfect timing. And what I, what I have learned to understand is that every single time I feel like there's conflict or that there's a disagreement or something isn't going right with, let's say, another person, all that is doing is mirroring back to me a lesson that I need to learn. So if I'm ever in a conflict with uh, my partner, for example, I find it super fascinating that obviously my first thought is to go to a space of like, I need to be right and I need to logic this and, and whatnot. And so often is, you know, if you ever feel, if I ever feel disconnected from my partner, what I have noticed oftentimes is it's actually a projection of my own lack of attempting to connect with her. Uh, which is super interesting. And yes, there are times when it's the opposite, but I think that what I've noticed is if I say, Hey, you know, like what's wrong. Cause I feel in my intuition or something wrong. Sometimes I'll ask multiple times because I feel like my intuition is right. And then I have to start reflecting and being like, wait a second, am I just projecting my own lack of connection onto that person? And is this mirroring back to me something that I'm not noticing about myself? or that I have not been noticing for, you know, a day or two mm -hmm. that, and even conflict with friends and, and family and stuff, like, what is this reflecting back to me? And whatever I, I think opening myself up to that, that gateway of infinite possibility is so huge because I just, I, I never know. And I think I know. And then I see that gate open and I see what's on the other side of that door. And I said, like, Whoa, there's like 15 things here, not literally, but it feels like sometimes there's 15 things here that I could learn from. And then I can see deeper in myself. So knowing that everything in life is a mirror is a beautiful concept. And then two, not a lot of people are going to maybe align with this, but this is something that I have been practicing a little bit. Uh, it's to stop chasing comfort. I think I have noticed in my life that there's been a cultivation of, I'm going to call it an addiction to comfort. And if I'm not comfortable, then all hell breaks loose and I don't feel like I'm doing a good job in life and something must be terribly wrong. And uh, the reality of it is that the only constant in life is change and nature proves that to us. Nature is constantly changing. And that is for me, just a representation that we're a part of nature. So to think that there's a consistent thing that's always going to be one way is incredibly inaccurate. So for me, I've done my best to, in the space of when I notice discomfort, to stop chasing the comfort on the other side of it and just being like, you know, maybe this is the comfort. And an example would be last night where I was having a conflict resolutions time with my partner. And I noticed in my body an intense feeling of discomfort and resistance. And I had to say to myself, because this is part of the work, sit with it, sit with it, mm -hmm. notice it, acknowledge it. And I, I, I have learned to practice the expression of, I am recognizing resistance in my body. I am recognizing the feeling of wanting this conversation to be over. And once I acknowledge that out loud to my partner, it's not saying I actually want it to be over. It's that I'm noticing that I do, I am feeling the desire to no longer want to have this conversation. And it, once I share that, it removes its power and, and it no longer feels that deep anymore of wanting to, you know, walk away or to, uh, 
express in an unhealthy way. It, it just is saying, this is the feeling I'm having and that's okay. I am noticing, I am aware of, I am acknowledging. And then I see it sit in that space and the discomfort will probably still be there, but at least I've acknowledged the discomfort and not pretended like it didn't exist because that just heightens it. And then I allow myself to be like, okay, you don't need to feel comfortable in this moment. It's okay. You don't need to be comfortable in every moment. That's okay. And if I constantly seek it, then I'm constantly saying that discomfort is a bad thing. I'm constantly pinning it as a bad part of life or that I suck at life or that I'm doing a bad job or that, you know, life is not aligning to my experience, which is a hilarious journey. Uh, but yeah, those are things my two biggest takeaways, the mirror and stop chasing comfort. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I really like that second one. Like, I think that, you know, conflict typically is, is, is just that it's, it's what it, the word sounds like, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's something that's different to what you're experiencing. It's, it's, it's a, a conflict in ideas, a conflict in perspectives, a conflict in ideologies, lifestyle. Um, and what, you know, what you, what I've learned from conflict is that when you're trying to not deal with the, the discomfort of conflict, what you really do is you close the opportunity to grow as a person. Amen. Right. It's when you're, when you're, when you're just fighting the battle that you've already known and you've already won many times again and over and over again, and you're just kind of, you know, you're not willing to engage in the conflict. You're not willing to sit in the conflict, let it go through your body, maybe reflect on it later. You just, you just, you just close the door to growth. And, you know, anybody can teach you anything, um, you know, being able to accept that an argument isn't a, it doesn't define who that individual is. It's just their opinion on something at that moment, right? And that opinion is based on a lot of, you know, their life experiences and, you know, taking things out of the problem and making it personal, you know, changing your perception of how you feel about that person because of that, that you guys had different ideas on two things. I think that, you know, one thing that I wrote down is just, you know, remembering the importance of the relationship in every conflict that you're in, you know, like that's more important, you know, this is just what we're talking about. And this is kind of, you know, where we've clashed a little bit and, you know, depending on our, where you're at with your conflict resolution style or what you've known about yourself and, you know, the work that you've done in the space of being able to get a favorable outcome, um, wherever you guys are at, if you guys are both really like understand yourself and know how to deal with conflict, you're probably going to get a very favorable outcome because you guys have both invested in learning about yourselves and conflict and you're going to get the best out of it. If you meet someone who hasn't dealt with very much and you have, you might get a, you know, a, a second best option and two people who haven't dealt with it at all, you're probably gonna get a very negative outcome, but let's not forget about the importance of the relationship, regardless of any of those outcomes, because relationships are ultimately to me the most important thing at the end of the day and you know jeopardizing a relationship over an argument um, over a disagreement over conflict is you know i think the biggest takeaway for me is you know no winning no argument or or, or having my opinion validated or whatever i'm trying to get out of you know winning this argument is never more important than the relationship and because I, I believe that to be true and I want to continue to, you know, make sure that the people that I talk to 
have understand that first and foremost, and then let's go about this talk, you know? Um, and sometimes I notice, you know, when you said that your, your conflict resolution style is different with certain people, I find the more, the more closer I am to someone, the more that I know that they know I value the relationship, the more I can actually like dig into like some of the, my uglier truths about my conflict resolution style, because I know if it gets to a place where I can, you're not going to change your perception of me. You're going to accept that that was an event mm. and, and you're going to allow me to move past it and grow and learn and give me an opportunity next time. And I can, mm. you know, reflect and say, Hey, sorry, I was sorry that I did this and I did this and I did this. These are the areas that I'm going to improve on and I can move on. Um, where if I haven't met you, it might not be, I might not feel as comfortable getting into that, that deeper state of conflict and like actually digging into the, 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 the discomfort because I'm, I don't maybe trust that you think that I have our relationship at is, is, is the most important thing to me, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that, those would be the kind of the, the two things for me is just, you know, remember that the, you know, the most important thing is the relationship and that arguments are just, just things that we go through. Conflicts are just things that we go through. Um, and that, not not leaning into conflict, not allowing yourself to sit in conflict is just closing the door on an opportunity to grow for yourself uh, and an opportunity to change some of the confirmation biases that life have, uh, has shown you. And um, anytime that you close that door off too much, you become very one dimensional and that's a very dangerous place to live. Mm-hmm. And I want to extend, I, I don't want to feel like it has to be my final word on, on the episode today, but I want to share, cause I think, I can't believe we haven't said it before in this episode and you kind of just brought it back to light with the relationship idea is it is, it should always be looked at as often as possible that it is not you versus me. It's us versus the problem. And I think that that perspective has always helped me is it's never, you know, Anwar versus Kyle, it's Anwar and Kyle against the problem. Mm-hmm. And that is that collaboratory mindset that, like I said, I can't believe we haven't shared yet because it's so powerful in its context. Um, and that's what's really helped me in my relationships is knowing that it's never us against each other. But sometimes it feels that way because it feels like you're attacking me. And then it feels like I'm attacking you. And it's this big loop. And then I, I do want to finish with a quote. And if you want to speak on it, please do. But the quote comes from Ram Das, And it, I don't, it just feels right in this moment. And it says, we are all just here walking each other home. And for me, that just allows me to know that while we have disagreements and conflicts, like you said, there are opportunities for us to grow. And through that growth and through that process, we're all just walking each other home. And home for me is myself. Walking, I'm walking you back to yourself and you're helping me walk back home to myself, which is my home. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.